Today's session is entitled Meeting with God. Meeting with God. As we kick off, there are two verses that I want to refer to. And the first is, is from Psalm 42, and it, it uses this phrase, meeting with God. So here is an Old Testament saint, and he writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So here's a person in the Old Testament who really has a passionate and intimate relationship with God. This is not a person following the rules of a book. This is a person who knows God, who loves God, and who loves to be with God. That's why he says, when can I go and meet with God? I'm like a, a, a thirsty deer. I'm desperate for God. It's what I need right now in my life. That's the, the prayer of Psalm 42. And we all know that old song, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And then here's something from the New Testament, from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So that's Jesus describing an individual going to, to meet with God. Go into your room, close the door, and your Father will see what you're doing and reward you. There are many different terms that Christians have coined to describe this, this regular meeting with God. Sometimes we refer to it as having a quiet time, although it's not always that quiet. People use the term daily devotions or personal prayer time. Some people talk about connecting with God or spending time with God. I like this term from Psalm 42, meeting with God. Now, whenever we discuss this time of, of meeting with God, people sometimes say, but we're always in God's presence. So what do you mean meeting with God? Don't we live in God's presence? Doesn't he live in us? Aren't our bodies the temple of the Spirit? And that is all true. We do live in God's presence. But what we're talking about here is not just living in God's presence, but taking time out to, to focus on God. Often our attention is on other things. <clears throat> but here we're talking about giving all our attention to focusing on God. That's what we're talking about here. And one thing I'm sure you've discovered is that it takes effort to meet with God. It takes effort Spending time with God is something that many Christians report having difficulties with. It's not always easy to, to find that time to, to spend with God. I've often discovered it takes emotional energy to, to pray, to focus on God, to do proper Bible study. It's, it is an energy-sapping activity. Uh, and, and prayer, too, is tiring. We see this, obviously, to the extreme happening in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is, is wrestling in prayer, and he's, he's sweating blood. 
His perspiration is mixed with blood because of the, the intensity of his meeting with God. So meeting with God is not, is not a casual thing. It is not a light thing. It, it takes energy and it takes effort. And there are often uh, times in our lives where it's harder to meet with God. I think of parents with, with a baby in the home and you're exhausted and, and there's constant noise. And if you have time alone, you just want to sleep. Uh, so it can be for people raising toddlers or people that live in digs or who are living in a dormitory or who are away from home or, or working shifts. So we understand that there are times when it's difficult to spend quality time with God. But it is also true that we do make time for the things that are important to us. So why is spending time alone with God so important? Some people might just think, well, you know, I'm a Christian now. I believe in God. I'm saved. Why can't I just get on with my life, go to church once a week, and, and that's it? Why is it necessary to spend time, preferably on a daily basis, in God's presence, focusing on Him? I think the answer is because God is, has created us for a relationship with Him. And God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to be involved in every area of our lives. He doesn't want to just be reserved for a Sunday worship service. Uh, God wants to spend time with us. We know in the Garden of Eden, uh, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God was walking in the cool of the day and he comes looking for Adam and Eve. And it would seem that even though Adam and Eve were busy in the garden, that there was a time in the day where they met with God. And, and isn't walking in the cool of the day a lovely picture of having fellowship with someone? And so that's the picture that we're given of, of Eden. Even in the perfect perfection of even, Eden, Adam and Eve are, are spending time with God, with him, in the cool of the day. So this is very encouraging. I also think that marriage serves as an interesting example for us of, of a relationship. And just as a husband and wife may be out and they're experiencing different things in the day and they might be in a different mood to one another when they reconnect and come home. And uh, it's, it's important that a husband and wife or whoever you're in a relationship with uh, that you spend time talking to that person just to reconnect and, and to get back on the same page with, with each other. And that's what it's like with our relationship with God. We're, we're out there in the world doing our thing, living a busy life. And it is important to just center our attention again on God and, and to just keep building that relationship that we have with Him. So let's read together in, in some more detail what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, because I think it has great ref relevance for one's quiet time. So let's start to read from Matthew 6. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Prayer was a very public thing for the Pharisees. 
They made a big uh, song and dance of it so that people would see how spiritual they were. Jesus says, don't do it like that. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And now Jesus explains how we should do it, how we should spend time with God. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door. And pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that is a little bit of what Jesus had to say about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes on to talk about fasting and, I believe, giving. If I can just draw out of this passage some points relating to what Jesus has said here. The first is that prayer is expected. Jesus says, when you pray. In other words, he takes it for granted that we as Christians as we as those seeking a relationship with God, will take time to pray. Jesus also stresses, secondly, that it is a private matter. And Jesus can't stress this enough. The King James Bible used to talk about go into your closet and shut the door. But here in in the NIV, the, the word is used, when you pray, go into your room, close the door. It's something that is that is private. It's between ourselves and God. We're not praying to impress other people. We also read here that it is it is personal. We we know how Jesus often withdrew from the other disciples and he he spent sometimes an evening on the mountain to pray he would go somewhere lonely where he'd be undisturbed and there's great benefit in doing that going away for a day where you know no one's going to interrupt you and you can truly draw close to God so Jesus often left the disciples and and he went away for hours on end to spend time with God Jesus also stresses here in the Sermon on the Mount that there is a reward for those who pray like this. He says, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he also reminds us here that the words that we use when we pray are not important. Eloquence doesn't matter because I don't think God's home language is English, so he's not really looking at the words we use and how they're linked together. I think God is looking at our hearts, what our intentions are, and uh, yeah, our attitude and, and how we're coming to him in prayer. So our eloquence doesn't matter. We mustn't use fancy words like the Pharisees did in order to impress people. 
To quote Jesus, don't keep on babbling like pagans. They think they will be heard for their many words. So the quality of one's prayer doesn't depend so much on the words used or even the length of your prayer or how often you repeat it. The quality of prayer, it is, it is a spiritual matter. It's about how you're praying. It just comes to my mind how Jesus told that story of the two men who went to the temple to pray and the one had a lovely prayer about how he was such a great person and the other person really couldn't pray. He beat his chest and just bowed his head and said, God have mercy on a sinner like me. And Jesus says it was the second person that went home justified. Whenever I give this talk in person, people always raise the question, well, if, if God knows what we need anyway, and he wants to give it to us, why do we need to pray? Uh, Jesus makes this point. Well, the, the question usually arises from, he says in verse 8, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So this raises an interesting question here. Jesus says that we must, we must talk to our Heavenly Father. We need to be telling God what's going on in our lives and what we would like Him to do. And then on the other hand, Jesus says, but your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, so what's going on here? Is there tension here? If God knows, then why do we need to ask? And I think the answer is that God is inviting God is inviting us to invite Him into our lives. God knows what we need, for sure. But, but God wants us to reach out to Him. God wants us to, to tell Him what it is that's going on in our lives. And it's a way for us to involve God in our lives. When it comes to meeting with God, there's no, there's no right way to do it. There's no formula. We're all different. We have different personalities. And I think part of maturing as a Christian is working out what works for you. So uh, there are those people in this world that swear by having a quiet time the first thing when you wake up in the morning. I can only assume that they are morning people. They're alert and that works for them. Other people like to have their time with God in the middle of the day. Others last thing before they, they fall asleep. I think we've all got to work out for ourselves what works for us and what what is best for the kind of personality and lifestyle that we have? And I think we need to give each other grace in this, uh, that there isn't one right way to do this. And as I've mentioned before, there are also seasons in our lives that we need to take account of. What makes you feel closer to God? I just raise these things because sometimes... Uh, they, they will help you and help you to find your pathway uh, of spirituality and your pathway of connecting with God. Some people really feel closer to God in nature. And, and so for them, it's important to be out in nature. And, and the hours of being out in nature really enable them to connect with God in a deep, deep way. If that's you, you need to make time to do that. Other people like to walk and talk to God. And there are times where I really enjoy that. Uh, going for a, a prayer walk 
and, and just praying quietly as I go. I think uh, the movement and the walking keeps me alert, and it's just a, a good way to pray. There are fewer distractions, and one feels more relaxed. There are those who definitely feel closer to God when they're with other Christians. Fellowship is really important to, to some Christians. And so for you, maybe you need to find other people that you can pray with in addition to your times of prayer by yourself. Other people have a more contemplative approach. They really love the meditation side of meeting with God. For some people, music is important. And they love to have music playing in the background. Maybe music without lyrics. I personally find that very distracting because I'm always listening to the music and, and thinking of uh, the structure of the music in, instead of uh, focusing on God. So even music can be a distraction for some but yet a, a blessing and a help to others. So we've all just got to find out what works for us, what helps us as an individual to feel connected with God. In uh, the next part of, of the session, I want to talk now about what is involved with spending time with God. What are the things that we do? What are the bases that we need to be covering when we have a quiet time, when we go into our room and close the door and, and focus our attention on God? What, what should we be doing in that time? And I've got nine or ten ideas that I want to share with you now. The first thing that we do when we meet with God, when we spend time with God, is, is to worship Him. It's to, it's to recognize God's greatness, who God is. It, it reminds us of who it is that we're talking to. And God is worthy of our worship. Jesus taught us, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Say, our Father who, was, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And that's where our prayer should begin. So God is, is worthy of our worship, and, and we're simply recognizing reality when we worship God. And worship is also very beneficial for us. This is why God commands it, because worship fixes human beings' number one problem, which is independence from God. And when we worship God, everything is in in order. Everything is, is in its rightful place. So worship is something that should take up our time as we, as we come into God's presence. The Westminster Catechism, which is a great theological document, reminds us that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so worship is a wonderful thing to participate in. Worship is something that we should do alone at home on our own. Worshiping God is not something that we just do in big groups. But worship is, is a very important aspect of spending time with God. 
The second thing that we do when we uh, spend time with God is that we're, we're, we're strengthening and deepening our connection with God. Remember I spoke earlier about that husband and wife coming home each from work and they just need to take some time to, to, to find one another and get back on the same page with each other. Well, this is also why we need to, to spend time with God, to just strengthen that connection that we have with Him. And I believe this is what Jesus is talking about in John 15, where He says, Remain in me. Other translations of the Bible say, Abide in me. The NLV, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. And Jesus goes on and on on this theme. You must remain in me. And the implication is that a Christian can wonder. A Christian can take their attention off Jesus. Uh, We can get involved in other things. And when Jesus says, remain in me, he's saying, stay connected to me. Stay on the same page as me. Don't lose your focus. And it's through remaining in him that Jesus says we, we bear much fruit and we won't fall away. And so the, the, the time we spend with God, it's important to just strengthen that connection that we have with God. Our relationship with God can also sometimes become strained. And uh, we need to just pray through anything that might have happened in our day. Maybe something that upset us and now we're, we feel disappointed that God allowed that thing to happen in our lives. We might need to just bring that to God and say, Lord, this happened today. As you know, uh, this is how I feel about it. But it's important to just talk through our day and to spend time with God and to make sure that our connection is strong. This leads me to my third point. I think there's a a place for confession, and we see this in the Lord's Prayer as well. But John reminds us in 1 John 1 verse 9 that if we claim to be without sin, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. And so, in a day, I'm sure we do things that, that are displeasing to God. We do things that are not God's best. It's, it can be actions, it can be things that we didn't do, that we should have done. It can be attitudes, uh, a lack of love, even a lack of trust in God in a situation. And we need to be regularly confessing our sins to God. And this is how we experience His grace in our lives. Remember after King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he writes, Lord, don't, he's now aware of his sin, Lord, don't hide your face from me. And he he comes to God and says, cleanse me from what I've done. And he has to say, and restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because when David sinned, that affected his relationship with, with God. He felt far from God. He felt disconnected from God. He felt 
cut off from God. He lost his joy. And so in this great psalm of confession, Psalm 51, he confesses his sin to God. And he, and he has to say, Lord, let restore our, our relationship. Your face is turned from me, Lord, because of my sin. But, but don't hide your face from me, Lord. Uh, restore to me the joy that I had when I was walking closely with you. The fourth aspect of spending time with God is for us to learn more about God. Peter tells us how to grow as a Christian. Let's read together from 2 Peter chapter 1. And here Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. So one of the reasons why we have a quiet time or a time with God, sometimes we need to be spending time studying His Word, growing in our knowledge and in our understanding of what God has said. So here in, in 2 Peter, there is a plea from Peter about how we need to be growing in our faith uh, and how we need to be adding to our faith in increasing measure various things. And one of the things that we're to be adding to our faith is knowledge. In verse 8, he says, For if you possess these qualities, these characteristics, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. There's the word again. In your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter ends in verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when we have a quiet time, we should be worshiping God. We should be making sure that our connection with God is good. We need to be remaining in Him. We need to be confessing our sins. And we need to be growing in our knowledge of God. In our day, we've, we've seen an interesting development of something. And I think it stems from an overemphasis on, on experience. But sometimes today I get a sense that people want to put a wedge between one's personal experience of God and one's personal knowledge of God. And I think that both these things are important. It's not a case of we don't want facts about God. We don't want knowing about God, information about God. We just want to have a spiritual experience, a personal knowing of God. And it is, it is fatuous to, to somehow draw a wedge or a distinction between these two forms of knowing God, because both of them are important. If we, if we just focus on having spiritual experiences, who knows where we'll land up? And history has shown that when Christians focus on just experiences, uh, they can land up in some pretty bad places. 
On the other hand, we don't want to be like the Pharisees and just focus on having head knowledge because that can lead to a sort of dry orthodoxy where we're so focused on facts and trivia about God that we forget to have a relationship with God. So all I'm saying now is that both these types of knowledge are important. And we gain these types of knowledge in different ways. The personal knowledge we gain through personal experience. Those things God takes us through. And that's a more subjective form of knowledge. And then the more objective knowledge relating to God we find in God's Word. And both of these are, is, are important. That we should never separate them or, or try and think that the one kind of knowledge is more spiritual than the other. I, I think of that phrase that people sometimes use. They say, we don't want information, we want revelation. And, and my response to that phrase is always, but hang on a sec, Uh, The information that we have about God, that is a result of his revelation. Uh, The only reason we have information about God is because of his revelation. Uh, Another thing that that I've seen in in the scriptures, and I I just offer it to you, is in John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he says to the Samaritan woman, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. And I just like this verse here, verse 22 in John 4, because it's Jesus just saying to the Samaritan woman whose knowledge of God was very partial because she was a Samaritan. They only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the books of Moses. Whereas uh, Jesus and the Jewish people, they accepted many more books at that time, the prophets and the writings, etc., as well as the Torah. So their knowledge of God as Jews was much greater. And that's the point Jesus makes here to the woman in the well. He says, you worship what you do not know. Sure, you're still worshiping God, but your worship is somehow lacking because your knowledge of God is lacking. And he says, on the other hand, we worship what we do know. Jesus is making the point that the Jews had a fuller revelation of God. They had a greater understanding of what God was truly like compared to the Samaritan woman. And that meant that their worship was deeper and richer. And I think that's what Jesus is saying there. So our, our knowledge of God helps us in our relationship with God. In Acts 2, we read the early Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship, to their relationships with one another, and to the apostles' teaching, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and everybody had a sense of awe. So, so prayer is important, fellowship is important, but we also needed to be, we also need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, which of course is found in the scriptures. We need to be like the Bereans who searched the scriptures every day so that they could know if what they were hearing was so. 
Paul also writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. What is the approval being spoken about here? Well, it's, it goes on to say, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We need to be workmen who correctly handle the word of truth and so that we don't have to be ashamed at how we're misusing God's word. Friends, false teaching is a huge problem. Uh, it always has been because one of Satan's schemes is to distort uh, the, the, the truth of God's word and to, to bring an application that is, is contrary to, to how God intended it. So we need to be on the lookout for, for false teaching. And the best antidote to falsehood is to know the truth. And it's when Christians don't know the truth, when they're not grounded in God's word, that they're far more likely to accept something that is, that is false. Just a quick thought about Bible reading notes. I know that Bible reading notes are a great blessing to people and they, they <clears throat> can give us new insights and be very helpful. But I would encourage you to, to always have times where you read God's word on your own and simply allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you that way. As Paul writes to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. It's not just about sharing with people what we think God is saying. Paul says we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to be full of God's word so that we can teach and admonish one another. Also think Psalm 1 is quite inspirational. Uh, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Whatever he does, he prospers. Let me say something about meditation, because meditation is, is important. As Christians, we, we are to meditate on, on God's truth. I've just read a scripture from Psalm 1 that talks about the person who meditates on the law of the Lord, on, on God's, God's word. It is that person that meditates that will prosper in whatever they do. What is meditation? It's, for us as Christians, it's not emptying the mind. But it is centering the mind on God. It is centering the mind on the voice of the Holy Spirit within us. And it is, it is, it is focusing on the truths that God has revealed to us. There's way more to meditation than reading. It means internalizing what we're reading and allowing it to deeply impact us and to become part of our worldview and our, our, our framework. This is what meditation accomplish, accomplishes in our lives, uh, along with many other spiritual benefits for us as Christians. 
I just want to end with a warning on this point that, that studying the Bible can never be an end in itself. The purpose of studying God's word is to bring us into a deeper relationship with God and it will do that for us. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, we worship what we know and so we, we relate to the God as we know him in scripture. So we mustn't make the mistake the Pharisees made. In John 5 verse 39, Jesus said these terrible words about the Pharisees. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so even though the Pharisees were diligently studying the scriptures, and that's a good thing to do, their hearts weren't right with God. Their approach was wrong. And so the studying of the scriptures didn't lead them into a relationship with Jesus. The sixth thing that we should do when we spend time with God each day is to become filled again with the Holy Spirit. To, to be empowered by God for all that he's calling us to do. We went over this verse in the session I gave on the, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, go on being filled with the Spirit. So this is in the present continuous tense. We're not just filled with the Spirit once in our lives and that's it. It's an ongoing experience. An ongoing experience of abiding in Jesus and allowing the, the life of Jesus to, to flow in our lives. So that's a very important reason why we, we need to spend time with God every day. Just saying, fill me again, Lord. I've leaked as I've lived my life. Fill me with your spirit. Let the living water within me well up and, and, and fill my life and flow out to others. Remember that great picture of the river. I think it's Ezekiel 47. It starts off as a stream and it becomes a, a mighty river. It's a, based on that symbol of the river flowing out of the temple of God in the Old Testament. We're now that temple and the river of life is meant to flow out of us into the world. And when we spend time with God, we, we just need to check in with God and make sure that that is happening. Paul also wrote this to Timothy, young Timothy, he said, Timothy, I know you have a faith in God, but I want to remind you to, to fan into flame the gift of God within you. So even though Timothy is a faithful follower of Jesus, and he's a man who loves God, Paul has to say, Paul, I need, Timothy, I, I need to remind you to keep fanning into flame the gift of God. You know what it's like when you make a fire and sometimes you've got to blow on the coals uh, just, to, just to get them right, to get the, the heat back. That's what having a quiet time is. It's, it's, it's when we take, out, we take time out to fan into flame uh, God's gifting within us, to be empowered by him, to be energized and to make sure we're keeping in step with the Spirit.
Another very important thing that we do when we spend time with God, it's, it's for us to receive His peace in our lives. We're living in a world that, that is full of trouble. Jesus said every day has enough trouble of its own. And as we go through life, people say horrible things to us. Uh, we experience a lot of negative emotions every day. It's a car cutting in front of us. It's, it's something we see that is upsetting. Uh, it's, you, know what it's, you know what it is in your life. So we, we go through life and there are things that, that traumatize us. Sometimes in a big way and sometimes just how little, little things can build up and, and upset us. And so it's important to, to bring all that stuff to God in prayer. Remember that old hymn, uh, you know, do you have troubles and whatever's going on in your life? Bring it, take it to the Lord in prayer. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we have a quiet time, we... We put this into effect. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead of being anxious, he says, take it to the Lord in prayer. With a thankful heart, petition God and bring your requests to God. And he says, if you do this, verse 7, the peace of God which transcends understanding, God's peace, which, which won't make sense in that tumultuous situation you find yourself in you will have peace which will guard your heart that when fear and anxiety grips the heart God sorts that out bring your 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 petitions and your prayers to God and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind those those thoughts that that race through our mind this could happen that could go wrong this is terrible that, that, that process that happens in the mind, as we pray, God will sort that out. The peace of God, the shalom of God, will guard our hearts and our minds. So one of the reasons we have a quiet time every day is to bring to God all the stuff that's troubling us, everything that's getting us down. We bring it to God in prayer and by faith we leave it with Him. Be anxious about nothing, but by prayer and petition present your requests to God. That's the antidote to anxiety. In Psalm 42, verse 5, the psalmist puts it like this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you so troubled within you? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior. Here the psalmist is giving himself some good advice. First he analyzes what's going on in his heart. And then he speaks to himself, put your hope in God. Don't have a disturbed heart. Don't be downcast. Put your hope 
in God. And if you have the gift of praying in tongues, which I hope you do, and it's a spiritual gift that I believe is available for every Christian, God isn't going to use every Christian to bring a message in a, in a different unknown tongue in a group meeting, but I believe everyone can pray in the Spirit. And Paul says this is something we do alone at home, and, and when we do this, we edify Ourself. The eighth thing that I believe that uh, we do when we have a quiet time, it's to gain God's perspective on things. This also has to do with renewing of the mind, but it's a bigger picture thing. It's, 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 I'm talking about much more than just bringing things to God in prayer that are troubling us. And I love this, the Psalm, Psalm 73. I'm going to start reading from verse 3 of Psalm 73. And I want you to notice what's going on in the psalm. The, the psalm starts off, it's very negative. And the psalmist is down in the dumps. And he thinks it's a waste of time to be a godly person and to be a, a person who's trying to obey God and serve God. He, he thinks that's kind of doing nothing for him. But there's a shift that comes in the psalm. But, but track with me here. It starts like this. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. He starts off here from verse 3 saying, gee, I've looked at ungodly people and I've thought, wow, they really look blessed. They look like they're having a great life. They're healthy, they are prosperous, they've got lots of money, and they don't seem to have anything going wrong for them. They're not even plagued by the burdens common to man. They, they seem to be very happy and everything's going well for them. Verse 11, they say... How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree and they increase in wealth. Then he says in verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in his innocence. All day long I have been plagued. And then he goes on to describe all the bad things happening in his life. He's not enjoying good health. He's not prosperous. Uh, and so there's this tension going on. And he asks the question, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. He's really beginning to think, how has this profited me to serve God? And then in verse 16 he says this, when I try to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. He says, when I was thinking about the, the injustice in life, these are ungodly people here. They, they mock God. They don't even believe in God. But they're prosperous and healthy. And then I look at myself, and, and, and I've got all these things going wrong in my life, yet I've been trying to, to serve God. Has it been in vain? Just thinking these thoughts is oppressive to me, he says. And then here comes the turning point, verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood their final destiny. So the writer of the psalm is talking about his personal struggle and then how he went into the temple to worship God in the sanctuary and suddenly he got perspective in his life. This was oppressive to me, he writes, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. And that's what happens when we spend time with God every day. It brings perspective in our lives. It, it helps us to see the big picture. And it helps us to make sense of our lives. He goes on. Now I get it. Well, that's my words. Surely you place them on slippery ground. How suddenly are they destroyed? Completely swept away. They're going to wake up and like snapping out of a dream. And so meeting with God brings a brand new healthy perspective on his life. Sure, he still may be struggling financially. He's still got his, his health issues. But, but suddenly he realizes the big picture. It has meaning. God hasn't forgotten him. And now he is, he's ready to, to go through life. Verse, 20, verse 21 of Psalm 73. When my heart was grieved... And my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast. And then he says, verse 23, But yet I've, I've come to understand I'm always with me. You do hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And you're going to take me into glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire beside you what a what a change in his thinking and that's what spending time with God that's what meditating on God's word will do for us it brings about change ninth on my list of what happens in a quiet time is that we hear the Lord's voice we hear the Lord's voice. I love Amos 3 verse 7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And in the New Testament covenantal era, we, we're all prophets. That's, that's the amazing thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. That was the shift from the Old Testament where just some people could be prophets priests and kings, to the New Testaments, where we're all part of the royal priesthood, where, where we can all prophesy, sons and daughters, young and old, men and women, slave and free. We're all prophetic. And we see here from Amos 3.7 that God enjoys sharing with us what he's about to do and what he wants to do. We see that too with uh, God before he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he, he wanted to, to tell Abraham what he was going to do. And so God is a God who, who speaks to us. He speaks primarily through his word. That is the object of truth that we're to build our theology and base our lives on. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and training. And, and God has given us everything we need. And that's important. Everything we need 
to be equipped for godly living. But the Spirit also prompts us and speaks to, speaks to us and helps us to apply God's Word in situations. And so, like young Samuel, we also need to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And uh, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. And I think it's a little bit like recognizing a person's voice on, on a cell phone call. I know nowadays their, their name and their picture maybe comes up when, when someone you know well phones you, but maybe their, their number is un, doesn't come up and you hear their voice and you know instantly who it is. And that's the same with our relationship with God. The longer we spend time listening to God the better we come to recognize when he's speaking to us. And it's those times every day of meeting with God, of sitting quietly and keeping quiet at times, just allowing God to speak to us, that we will learn to recognize his voice. And it is something that takes time. And over years, we come to, to recognize the still small voice of God. And the tenth thing that we do when we spend time with God is, is intercession. We should also be praying for, for, for people. Uh, I think of the well-known verse 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And he mentions for kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. But we should be bringing things to the Lord in prayer. We should be standing in the gap and, and praying for our loved ones, praying for people that we don't know who are in trouble. We should be praying for our city, for our nation, for our leaders. I want to close by just referring again to the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, is, is a wonderful prayer to pray regularly, but it, it's also a model prayer. It's, it's a pattern for, for other kinds of prayers. I'm sure you know it well. So I'm just going to brief, briefly share on it. But it begins with Jesus saying, this is how you should pray. Say, Our Father. I spoke about the triune being of God, that it is to the Father that we're to address our prayers. And we're to begin with worship. Hallowed be your name. The second phrase is your kingdom come. And this is really a declaration. May your kingdom come. That's the sense of it in the Greek. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, Lord, we want your will to be done on earth. And so even before we get to praying for ourselves and our needs, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, before we get to the personal stuff, Jesus says, begin with worship. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May God's will, God's renown, God's glory be uppermost in our minds when we pray. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your rule on earth in human hearts. And ultimately your rule here in, in completeness. Give us today our daily bread. 
There's a, there's, a, there's a place to be praying every day for what we need. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Interesting that uh, we're to ask for forgiveness, even in the Lord's Prayer, for our sins. And we're to be conscious of people we might need to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. The Greek word here is perasmos. And it's the same word for trial, for testing, and for temptation. We've just got one English word that's very specific, temptation. But the Greek word used here is a, is a much broader word that has a much broader meaning. And so the, the word temptation is just one aspect of what it means. Perhaps the primary aspect, which is why that's how it is translated. But the, the Greek word has the sense of, and lead us not into temptations and trials and difficulties and tests. So we're also praying for ourselves here. That God, in His grace, if it be possible, like Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, lead us not into this, this, this test, this, this trial, this hardship, and deliver us from the evil one. Interesting that even in the Lord's Prayer, there is a, a note of spiritual warfare. Deliver us from, not from evil, uh, which is included, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is very specific here. Just one other thing before I close. In the Lord's Prayer, it talks about the need for us to forgive those that have sinned against us. And it is so important that we do this. And after the Lord's Prayer, we, we read these frightening words. Matthew 6 verse 14. For if you forgive people when they sin against you... Your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a very powerful verse. And uh, I know it is possible for people to be profoundly and deeply hurt by others in this life. Repeatedly and for some people over a lifetime and this is incredibly difficult to do but it is so important according to Jesus that we do forgive those from the heart who have sinned against us and so one of the things we need to be doing in a, in a quiet time is just making sure that we're not holding a grudge against anyone or anybody. Lord, is my heart right with everybody that I share this planet with? Have I truly forgiven others the way you have forgiven me? Reminds me of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3 7. He says, Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives, treat them with respect. And then he says at the end, so nothing will hinder your prayers. And it is so that when we have a, a, a broken relationship with other people, 
It can even be in our household, in our home, in the marriage bond, where things aren't right there. That affects our relationship with God. It hinders our prayer. Husbands, be considerate and respectful as you live with your wives so that nothing may hinder your prayers. And so in a quiet time, we need to be searching our heart. There's that wonderful prayer that was turned into him. Search my heart, O God. In fact, it comes from Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. In the Hebrew, it says, see if there's a way of pain. What are those things in my heart that bring me pain in my relationships with other people? And help me to find healing in you. So friends, I hope this has been a help to you. This is what I do in my quiet time. These are the the things that I try to do. And I don't even know if I can remember all 10 of them right now, but here are some of them that still are uppermost in my mind. When we spend time with God, we need to be worshiping Him. We need to be strengthening our connection with God, confessing our sin, being filled with the Spirit, studying God's Word, interceding and praying for people, listening to the voice of God. And... uh, meditating on God's word. So I want to encourage you to spend time with God, to to find a lonely place, to, to go away and spend quality time with God, because it has shown that that is the one Christian discipline and practice above all others that helps us to grow in our faith. It's that daily discipline that is difficult, that that is hard uh, to do, but it it has tremendous benefits. Uh, It's how we deal with our anxiety. It's how we find the strength to face tomorrow. So I want to encourage you to, to spend quality time with God today and always until we we live in his presence god bless you